Hi, my name is Ben DeVries, and welcome to another episode of A Corner of the River, a podcast for sharing questions and longings and finding thin spaces where eternity and God's presence seem closer. This is the third part in our series on the problem of evil that I've been having with my brother Josh. We'll pick up where we left off in the last episode by looking here at the second chapter of Lewis's book, The Problem of Pain, and using that as a guide for our discussion. If you'd like to go back and listen to the first episode or two in this series, I will be posting links to those in our show notes. Thanks very much. actually defining, putting into his own words, what the problem of pain is. We, we talked about this in uh, the first episode, gave uh, an example or two uh, of worded definitions, but they're, they're all very similar, ultimately. Um, for Lewis, he says, if God were good, he would wish to make his creatures perfectly happy. And if God were almighty, he would be able to do what he wished. But the creatures are not happy. Therefore, God lacks either goodness or power or both. This is the problem of pain in its simplest form. Yeah. And then he immediately says the rub is how we define those terms, good and almighty and happy, even happy. Um, And this chapter is another one that is a little tough sledding at times, perhaps not quite as much as the first but he's wrestling with the idea of God's omnipotence. And I, perhaps, he, interestingly, he doesn't sort of state it on the front end. Like we, we, we probably even got to a quicker in our first episode on this. Um, but sort of the, the question, whether we state it explicitly or just sense it, um, you know, why, why God, why can't God prevent more evil, more pain? Um, we understand, typically understand the value of human free will on some level, uh, but why can't, why can't God work with free will, manipulate it? Uh, I, I think I've said this myself in, in previous episodes, one way or another is why, God, why can't you stop the bleeding in Ukraine? You know, stop, stop the invasion, stop. Uh, and if I haven't, I've, I've certainly thought that numerous times and so without directly, you know, stating that explicitly on the front end, although he gets to it fairly quickly in this chapter, he's he's trying to, I think, largely wrestle with that that question. Um, and interestingly, I mentioned the Wade Center podcast episodes on on this book. Jerry Root had another comment that I, I might bring this up again down the road because I, I thought it was very well stated that the two typical or most common, most popular responses to theodicy, the the defenses um, of God uh, in light of the problem of pain or a problem of evil. The first, I think he said, came from Augustine, uh, if if I remember correctly, uh, is, is the free will defense. God has given humanity free will and is honoring that free will. 
uh, on some level through allowing ongoing, um, at least ongoing um, uh, uh, non-natural evil or um, moral evil to exist. The other most popular defense is uh, the soul making that God is, is using evil and pain uh, to develop us as spiritual beings, to develop our souls, to develop our ultimately our relationship with, with him, both for, you know, present and for eternity. And I think he linked that to Aquinas and its origins. And, I, and hopefully we'll have a chance to come back to both of those. But the soul making one was really stood out to me when I actually took a class on the problem of evil uh, in seminary. And um, I might be revisiting some aspects of that now, rethinking some of that now, but I think that's a theme we can come back to. Anyway, Root also mentions that he believes this current chapter, the second chapter, Divine Omnipotence, is actually Lewis's wrestling with the free will defense. And the following chapter on divine goodness is actually his wrestling with the soul-making theodicy. So that, that was really interesting to me and hopefully something that will kind of flesh itself out. Yeah. Yeah, a quote I really liked from um, the second chapter. Um, we can perhaps conceive of a world in which God corrected the results of this abuse of free will by his creatures at every moment so that a wooden beam became soft as grass when it was yeah. used as a weapon and the air refused to obey me if I attempted to set up in it the sound waves that carry lies or insults. But such a world would be one in which wrong actions were impossible and in which therefore freedom of the will would be void. Yeah, yeah, that, that is great. Um, yeah, he's, he, he starts uh, by saying the fact that, that we acknowledge as, as confessing Christians that God is omnipotent, that is a hallmark of uh, Christian theology of God, that he, he is all powerful. Um, that that doesn't mean that God can do what he calls self-contradicting things, or he, uh, he also describes as mutually exclusive exclusive alternatives. He says we need to be careful in defining those. Only God ultimately knows what is self-contradicting or mutually exclusive. Sometimes we think something might be when it's not. Sometimes we think something might not be when it is. So he says, let's have some yeah. you know intellectual well, humility. Yeah. Yeah. You would have thought that God being both creator and creature would have been an impossibility. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's 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 a great example. Um, but he's saying just just because God is God and is all powerful that he he can't do nonsensical things. Um and he, he mentions, uh, he says, if you choose, if you choose to say God can give a creature free will, uh, uh, this is a quote from the book, and at the same time withhold free will from it, you have not succeeded in saying anything about God. Right. And even, even I find myself sort of pushing back against that saying, well, aren't, aren't there times when God does say, okay, the, the 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 baseline is human free will but where god does intervene and stop people from taking certain actions we we see examples of that in scripture where god forces someone's hand 
uh, for his for God's purposes. Um, and he he says a little bit later in the chapter that as Christians, confessing Christians, once again, we have to believe in the supernatural. We do believe in the supernatural, and the supernatural includes miracles. But miracles are miracles because they are an exception, not not the rule itself. So then that sort of makes you ask, well, when does God allow himself to to do the miracle or to allow for the exception? Uh, when when does he not? Where is that line? Uh, you know, that's a, a mystery far beyond us. And that is almost a big part of, of, the, of the question itself, the wrestling with why doesn't God do more than he does? It's sort of a, a looping cycle here. You know, I'm not sure that he entirely avoids that. Yeah. So he's saying, again, sort of work, again, building on this free will defense that for us to be able to exercise choice, exercise free will, that we need a dependable external to us environment, which he calls nature, uh, at least uh, uh, one or two occasions. It's like you need um, a neutral environment. Yeah. Something outside of ourselves. Yes, exactly. And outside of another person uh, to to know others, to communicate with them and to relate to them and to relate to God himself and to have the freedom to make choices. Uh, he at one, one point describes it as a common space and a common time. It can't just be some sort of ethereal mental game, although there might be who knows what, what this sort of environment is for the angels or for God himself. Even the, he, he, he is really struck by the fact that God himself is a, uh, as we know through the doctrine of the Trinity, is uh, is is as one being, but an interrelation of of three three individuals: the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So yeah, it's, even, it's even, also interesting to note. I'm sorry to interject. Um, oh, no, it's also interesting to note that in Christian, you know, eschatology, what what we have to look forward to is not to be in disembodied spirits, but actually to be embodied again in the future. For sure. For sure. Yeah, that's that's a great point. One that anti Wright has really helped um, evangelical and other confessing Christian um, uh, traditions kind of capture, recapture. Um, yeah, for sure. That that's great. We we're not sort of spiritually. Our, our final state will not just be sort of unembodied spiritual beings, you know, in the in the ether somewhere. Um, yeah, that's that's an excellent. I didn't I hadn't thought of that. I appreciate you you that out so part of part of what what is needed for a dependable as you called a newest himself called a neutral nature is for it to have laws um and i i was struggling to uh struggling with time to try to capture some notes here on the, the last on the part of this chapter for our discussion but also just kind of struggling i was struggling to encapsulate that um He's saying that if nature just sort of bent itself in our favor frequently, if not all the time, then we could not have free will. And I wasn't quite sure I understood or fully endorsed or fully, you know, uh, believe that that that's accurate. Did you did you have any any sense of that? What what he was getting at? Why why a sort of solid state nature for the most part? 
aside from occasional miracles, which he allows for, has to be so dependable with laws in place for us to be able to act freely. What's, what's the correlation there? Did you, did you get any further with that than I did? Um, well, I would think that, you know, if you think of nature as a medium between souls, even if it's between us and God, let's just say it's between one person to another sure. you know, created person. Sure. Um, you know, it, it would have to be neutral. You wouldn't, if it, you know, because you have two different wills present. Um, if, if it just bent to one person's will, then, then you would neglect um, the other. Does that make sense? Um, in a sense, we do bend nature to our will all the time. Mm -hmm. um, the question is whether or not our will is, is of good intent or, or evil. I don't yeah. know if that makes sense or not. Um, it's like the, the medium has to, has to be completely neutral um, to whatever we affect on it, however we choose to act in the world. Um, and again, it comes down to we, us choosing to act in the world, um, that, that free will choice, what we do with the world around us. Mm -hmm. Rather than the world basically telling us how, what it's going to do to us, kind of. Of course, that does happen as well. You know, if there's a massive yeah. storm or let alone tsunami or volcano eruption or, you know, but. Yeah. And Lewis hasn't touched on that in this uh, chapter. Yeah. He's, he's dealing yeah, much more with, with the possibility of, of right. using material things for, um, you know, nefarious purposes, if we so wish. Yeah. Yeah. He. And I think this is where I, I get it a little better. I, I I believe he talks about the the concept of like a chess game. Doesn't he use that analogy at some point? Yeah, he does. Yeah, that's where that's where I think I follow him a little bit better when he says a little earlier, if quoting, if if you were introduced into a world which thus varied at my every whim, you would be quite unable to act in it and when thus lose the exercise of your free will. Right. So maybe I'm just having a hard time envisioning or imagining that kind of um, scenario. And I, I think you have a, a better kind of grasp of that than I do at this point. But he does go on to say that because this this environment, this nature that we both inhabit, in your example of two people interacting with each other, let alone, you know, thousands of millions of people interacting with other millions of people, um, that the nature is never going to just is never going to be able to accommodate or favor or, or be on the side of just one individual or one group of people. It's th that, that sort of idea of, um, you know, we have that, that joke, you know, when I was a, when I was a kid, I, you know, biked up, up, uphill both ways to get to school. He said, well, that's not the case for one person. It's a steep uphill ride. And for another person, and it's, it's a, it's a downhill, you know, <laughs> get your, get your feet off the pedal pedals and just glide, you know? Um, yeah. so, that that phenomenon itself and i think you were getting at this a second ago is what e either lends itself toward us helping each other showing courtesies to each other as he, he describes it in uh, one point or competing with each other and i think as you were alluding to using nature to our advantage not not just for our good but to our advantage as a, over on over against other people other individuals is, is that kind of the gist of what you were you were getting at 
Yeah, I, I think so. And the flip side is also true. It's it's because because we act in a world that, <clears throat> in a sense, is neutral to us, and we enact our will upon um, upon it, upon others, with use of our body, with use of other things, weapons, yeah, whatever, you know, whatever. Um, it's it also enables um, the doing of good. If you were to, instead of do something for an evil purpose, you were to turn around and, and do it um, for the opposite reason. Um, it, you know, if you take out the free will scenario, you know, Lewis Lewis talks about, for instance, um, if all of nature was so arran arranged, if even our own brain anatomy was so arranged that we were incapable of doing anything wrong, we would also not really be good either. Uh -huh. um, you may say that we were, we would go around being completely harmless, but you couldn't really say that we were good, um, that we chose a higher road over a lower one, for instance, because um, there would be absolutely no choice involved. So again, you're back, you're back full circle to the, <laughs> to the free will, uh, argument yeah the, the god is ultimately not interested in automatons or robots as as people often say but he he's he's interested in someone being able to choose to relate to himself and and then secondarily uh, you know love god love your neighbor to to choose to relate to and love other human beings and other parts of creation that, that God has made um, that there, there's an intimacy and a depth and a reality there that would not be possible if, if we were predetermined, uh, you know, hundred percent predetermined. Um, yeah. Yeah. hundred percent right. agree. And, and I think that's why there's such an, an emphasis both in the old and new Testament on um, ultimate judgment um, basically is what that, what that's saying is we're, we're left to our own devices in terms of what we choose to do here on earth. I mean, you can, you can go into a deeper debate about predestination and, you know, God enabling us, giving us the will to do good and all that. But, but basically, you know, for the sake of this conversation, we, we choose what we, whatever we want to do. We, we have full responsibility for our choices mm -hmm. and those choices do actually matter. It's not that, whether we choose to do right or wrong, we, you know, we both end up in the same place. Um, there's, there's a constant emphasis, um, of, of there being um, a judgment of, of there being in a sense, if you go back to the chess game analogy of there being a final score, <laughs> more or less. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. The idea of, of reaping what we sow. Um, yeah, exactly. That's, that's the best way to put it. And yet even there were all of us to a man, to a woman are dependent on, on grace. If, uh, we, we have. Yeah, that's, that's the, that's in a sense, the, um, the third element that comes in. Right. Um, yeah. Which yeah. is neither really anticipated or deserved or, um, that, that changes the whole game, but yeah, it doesn't at the same time. Yeah. Referring to, um, you know, catastrophic the, events, the entrance yeah. of Christ. And yeah, exactly. And, but it, it also doesn't, in, in a strange way, it doesn't change the judgment. You know, you constantly hear, hearing Jesus talking about, about the judgment. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's, 
yeah, that's sobering on one level. Um, so to wrap up the last few pages of this chapter, and I, I think you, you've pretty much done that already and I appreciate that. Um, he's, he, he, he's making the claim that we need uh, the neutral environment, the stable environment to operate in. We need rules of the game to depend on and to be able to make either good choices and loving choices toward ourselves, our neighbors, toward God, or non-loving choices that you just talked about that, that the scripture constantly warns us against. Um, and he says, you know, in a chess game, you can you can allow your opponent to, to do things outside the rules here or there, but if you constantly allowed that, you, you wouldn't really have a game of chess. Um, I, I coach baseball uh, with my, my older son and his team uh, for a few years now. And if we uh, we can occasionally allow something to slide or the umpires can allow something to slide, but if you let everything slide, you end up with Calvin Ball, if anyone's familiar with Calvin and Hobbes and his yeah. <laughs> crazy games where he brings in, you know, aspects of 15 different sports and is constantly changing the rules on Hobbes, you know, as he goes along. So as, they, as they're playing each other. Um, and... Yeah, that's you referred earlier to that that quote about the, the wooden beam. If it became soft when I'm trying to slug someone with it, you know, and then went back to to, to hard when I need to build build something with it or 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 uh, use it for a fire to, to get warm. Um, we 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 think God can just override that. Uh, he can override uh, material substance uh, or uh, uh, even our, our thoughts that God could just intervene and, and stop wrong thoughts, let alone wrong actions. Um, and God does seem to do that on occasion. There are miracles. God does intervene uh, in our personal lives and the lives of others we know to to heal sickness or to prevent an evil. There's probably more examples of that than, than we could ever be aware of, you know. But but if he did that all the time, there there would be no no sort of level level playing field for us to sort of depend on and to work in. And we wish that were different. We want that to find that differently than God does. We don't understand why he intervenes sometimes and not others. Um, but basically, and, and the, the Wade Center podcast, they had a discussion about this. They put it very well. You know, God could, could override one evil action and then the next and the next and the next. And at some point you just, you don't have free will. God is just constantly intervening and you're, you're sort of going back toward sort of a, um, you know, a lazy sort of human being who's just doing what you want and, and, and letting God sort of pick up the pieces, uh, or, or, you know, clean up your mess constantly. And, and God does an awful lot of that to begin with, but, um, at some point there isn't much free will there, I think is what he's saying. Yeah. Well, um, another side of this is just coming into my mind, um, and this opens up a whole nother conversation for a different time, but sure. um, is the whole idea of, of the connection between suffering and um, attainments of glory. Yes. Um, um, you talk about Christian martyrdom. Yeah, exactly. Um, where, you know, you had, um, for instance, St. Ignatius and, and many others who are on the way to the Colosseum and, and didn't want their suffering to be avoided um and there's there's much talk about christ of, um, from christ of us entering into his suffering and, and you know paul talks about that endlessly um it's 
suffering seems to be tied to the Christian life in a positive way. Um, and like I said, that's a whole other conversation for another time. Yeah. Because um, we, again, what you do with, with Christians who aren't, for people who aren't Christians and haven't chosen that, you know, um, who haven't chosen that life to suffer for Christ. Um, right. And his, and his kingdom. But, um, but yeah, I just, I just thought I'd mention that too. Um, not, not all, not all suffering is necessarily, um, evil. Well, it's not that it's not evil. It's that it's not, uh, so there are some Christians in, in the, in the past, um, I, I wish I could say I was one of them. Maybe if it came down to it, um, I, I, I would hope to be one um, who who desire to suffer um, because they know what it'll what it'll gain them in the next life. And it doesn't make the suffering any less evil. Doesn't um, doesn't change the responsibility of those who take their lives or inflict you know inflict pain upon them or their families. Um, But that, that's a whole other um, dimension to this whole topic um, that, that is pretty unique, I think. Yeah, I once again, I appreciate you bringing that up and your your honesty about wrestling with that. There, that, that idea of soul making through suffering, uh, through having to make ch tough choices and through experiencing suffering as well as through experiencing good is, is, is definitely worth exploring more uh, in depth. I've, I've begun to wonder about that a little bit more from, from the other side of that tension, you, you know, the Lord's prayer, part of the Lord's prayer is God saying, lead us not into temptation. So on the one hand, we have this clear teaching through, through uh, scripture and through the testimony of many, many saints through the ages. Christian saints, including ones we know and, and have loved um, and still love, you know, that, that God can can really build a person's character and soul and relationship to others and to himself through suffering of, of various forms. And yet God, through the Lord's Prayer uh, and perhaps other, you know, scriptural teachings that aren't coming to mind immediately is, is saying you don't have to go looking for it either. You know, you are human, you're frail, you're the God remembers that we are dust as one of the, as it says in one of the Psalms. Um, and there's a tension there, uh, uh, ex, uh, working with it when it comes to us and, um, and, and yet not necessarily seeking after it on the other hand, either. Um, and then another element of this that I've come to sort of wrestle with that we could explore more is. I, I think I was, I, I'm pretty sure I was at a point in around about the time of seminary in part, you know, wrestling with the, the class, the, the problem of evil that I took and that got me thinking about the soul making theodicy is, is thinking that God pretty much created knowing and expecting us to fall. And that probably still holds true if we hold to a view of, you know, God's omniscience and that he almost intended that so that we would not just be created, but that we would have the venue that you just described for becoming the kind of souls that God, God wants. 
for our sake and for the sake of relating to the rest of his creation and to the rest of his creatures, human and otherwise, and most of all, to relate to himself in the way that we described earlier. It, that it was almost, I think I was saying, thinking to myself, it was inevitable, it, it, or it was, it was required. But then I, I'm starting to kind of question that on some level, if, if creation was, was truly good. And if God himself does not require suffering or let alone a, or a fall, I, I would even gone so far as to say the fall and everything that resulted from it. Um, if we think of the entire cosmos falling in some level with, with the angels and, um, and then humans and impacting it further, you know, um, you know, God, God himself does not, does, has, has not had a fall. He is sinless. Christ, Christ was sinless when he came to earth. Um, the spirit is sinless. The Trinity collectively is sinless. Uh, and yet they are the epitome, the, the pinnacle of morality and goodness and wholeness however you want to describe it. Um, so uh, once again, a, a bigger subject, as you said, as well, but for but uh, another, another time, but um, it really has some interesting dynamics. It's it's really is a profound tension. It almost seems intrinsic to us growing as people as, as I think you were describing. But did it have to be? Would there have been was would it have been possible for us to relate to God in the way that he intended without without a fall? Um, so, yeah, I, I'm inclined to think that it's, we're dealing with the result of a choice. Um, as simple as that. And maybe it really, it was as simple as that. Um, I, it, for some reason I'm thinking about, um, the beginning of the Silmarillion Tolkien's, um, kind of origin story for Middle Earth and the world. Um, and he describes the, the different angels in heaven, how, um, I mean, he uses the different terms, of course, but he talks about basically the, the Satan character, Lucifer. It's, it's as if they're all, um, all of them have a song to sing or a certain something to bring to this sort of heavenly melody, uh, heavenly chorus. And um, the Lucifer character um, is, is twisting the tune. And, and adding in notes that are not supposed to be sung. Um, and it turns into this, it turns into this really interesting um, description of the God character um, taking that song and making it beautiful again. Um, I, I, I can't describe it. You'd have to read the, I think anyone who's familiar with the, the opening uh, chapters of the Silmarillion will, will know what I'm talking about, but um, but God ab being able to the bottom line is God turning what was meant for evil in, into good again in a way that it, it couldn't have been without that. Yeah, exactly. That same song that I referenced earlier by Andrew Peterson, I, I was just looking up the lyrics. It is in fact called "Don't You Want to Thank Someone," and I'll, I'll link to this as well. It's a beautiful song on, on many levels, both personal and sort of eschatological, um, just, just profound imagery, um, talks about losing the sense of innocence that we have as children and kind of longing, longing for it. 
for a world that existed before uh, the fall that we've been talking about. And then he has a powerful line that has just hit me like a ton of bricks, you know, so many times. Um, he says, maybe it's a better thing, a better thing to be more than merely innocent, but to be broken and then redeemed by love. And, you know, that, that will never cease to hit me, you know, from a personal perspective, my own, my own story, but it just goes back to that question. It, like, like, like you were saying in your own way, there's just something deeply, deeply profound to, to come to God and to have gone through that makes you wonder, do we need to, do we have to go through that to relate to God the way that we want to relate to him that more than anything he wants to relate to us? Um, or could it potentially have been possible without that? And we may never know, um, but it, it's well, worth, I think, yeah, yeah. I think that quote you read is, I think it has to be spot on because um, I just read, um, and I guess it would have been in Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, not long ago, Jesus saying how um, there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents hmm. um, than many who, didn't need to. <laughs> yeah, um, there seems to be a special joy in seeing that happen. Mm -hmm. It almost—it seems to almost make all the suffering worth it. Yeah, that's that's a a beautiful connection. I hadn't thought of to that uh, that description. Yeah, it it sure sure makes you wonder. You know, um, on the one hand, you don't want to say that God required his creation, his creatures to, to turn against him profoundly, you know, metaphysically, uh, for, for them to be, to be able to, to become the kind of creatures, you know, humanity that he intended. Um, but like you said, that, that is a reality that that is the only reality that we live in due to, due to choice, Adam and Eve's and, um, and and lucifer before them yeah and all and, and, his angels yeah ultimately this this whole story reflects back on god and how it's almost as if humanity decided well we're going to go this route and then god's answer is well then now you'll get to see just how far i'm willing to go mm -hmm. for your sake um the deeper so magic. I, exactly exactly um yeah lewis understood this so well because all of his all of his writings are just permeated with with this. It just comes out at the seams. It seems like, um, but that's why I think you know. Again, and I come back to kind of the the end times, the last imagery we receive of of where all this is heading. Um, I keep wanting to come back to that. Um, not just the judgment of all things being set right, you know, and and, and every tear being wiped away, but also. Um, every crown being cast at God's feet at Christ's feet specifically right. Um, right. that he's the one who's going to take all the, um, the credit for basically we're going to be so amazed at, at what he did in response. Yeah. Yeah. And you talked about consequences earlier, you know, once again, tension, you know, between clear warnings and scripture and our own personal experience of consequences. Uh, I think all of us on this planet could speak to that bad decisions that lead to bad consequences, 
whether instant or over time. Um, and yet scripture also tells us there's no condemnation for those of us that are in Christ Jesus. Um, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Uh, perhaps even, I'm, I'm thinking even due to our own selfish decisions uh, in, on earth. Um, maybe there will be a memory of them on some level. Maybe, maybe there won't. Um, it, it, will, it will be healed. If we trust passages like that, it will be healed in some way. It won't be an indefinite um, experience of, of judgment, of punishment. Um, so once again, a punishment, I think um, it's not a free reign to, to do what we want, just like grace itself isn't free reign, but there is, there is deep, deep compassion and forgiveness uh, and healing um, to be experienced there as well, or I don't think heaven could be heaven. Right. And I, I think it's, it's the realization of that compassion of God. That's the only thing that really helps us move out of being evil people. Um, it's the only thing that helps us um, embrace God and, and yeah. actually begin to keep the law and want to keep it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I heartily endorse that. There is no, we're, we're, we're sunk, we're lost if we don't have access to that um, that presence and enabling, um, there are things we can do, spiritual disciplines and things we need to do to, to give God more access to parts of our life and to, to our actions and thoughts. Um, but we're sunk if we don't have God himself being the driving force for that, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, one last thing, uh, we've gone a little over time, but, uh, then I wanted to, um, but uh, I think this last 20 minutes have been some of the best of the entire episode. So to discussion, I should say, um, so to anyone who's stuck with us this long, thank you very much for letting us talk it out and, and cover some more personal dimensions of this in the process We're, we both Josh and I really appreciate that. Mm -hmm. He says, closing out the second chapter, um, I, I thought it was very profound that he said, it's not that God started with human free will and then sort of worked back backwards toward what creation would need to exist to accommodate that you know, the creation, the laws of creation, all of that creation was to God, uh, he, he, he says, an utterly self-consistent act of creation, which to us appears at first sight as the creation of many independent things, and then as the creation of things mutually necessary. Um, it was all internally consistent to God. Um, no matter how much we do or don't grasp it, I don't grasp it, I think is what he's mostly getting at. Um, it was internally, always has been, always will be internally consistent to God. Um, he doesn't have much interest in sort of the best of all possible worlds uh, idea. Um, 
uh, he says this, this might actually be the only possible one. Uh, and I, th I think he's almost going so far as to say, this is exactly what God needed to do. There, there really wasn't another, another way to go about this. A perfect wisdom, as he describes it, can't argue about that. And then one more quote, he says, the freedom of God consists in the fact that no cause other than himself produces his acts and no, no external obstacle impedes them. So talk about power and talk about grace. Um, yeah. So, um, again, Josh, thanks for uh, an excellent discussion, for uh, bringing a lot to the table and for helping bring out some really, really good uh, personal, personal thoughts here at the end as well. Yeah. Well, thank you. If anything, this helps me a lot. So, yeah, yeah, me too. It's, uh, we were, we were talking, you know, by text or before it just how busy it can get with families and jobs and, and I'm in the, the thick of baseball season myself. And it's, it's hard to make time for this, even just to do the reading and the note taking, um, but it, it's good to do this and I uh, really appreciate having you as a conversation partner and just kind of holding each other to keep, keep moving ahead with this discussion. Um, and once again, thank you to anybody who's listening in, taking the time uh, to follow along with us, whether you're reading along or not, we, we really appreciate it. I really appreciate it. Um, in our next conversation, hopefully roughly a couple weeks from now, maybe a little more, a little less, we'll see. Uh, probably a little more if I had to be, a, if I'm a betting man. Um, uh, but though we're, we would hope to go through chapters three on divine goodness. And then the following chapter, if I can get the title, let's see. On human wickedness. So we would be talking about chapters three and four. So thank you. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Bye.